Well, that was pretty well said. Jesus changes everything. That was my opening line, so I think the video gave it to us. Ever since that ancient, that day, those ancient many years ago, nothing has been the same since that day. You know, the women who went to the tomb that morning in the, in the story, the account that we read, were carrying burial spices with them. They were uh, carrying burial spices to care for the body of Jesus. In that day, uh, the body would be placed aside for a time, and then it would be wrapped for a longer term, uh, for a year-long keeping in a stone cave. And so they were going with burial spices to carry out that, that ceremony or that process. No one was expecting a resurrection that morning. No wonder, no wonder, as the scripture says, they were astonished. They were filled with, they were frightened and yet also filled with great joy as they grappled with what was happening and what, what, the, what this meant. As we've already heard this morning, the resurrection of Jesus that morning cast a whole new light on everything that had come before. It took some time, but eventually it gave his followers a whole new perspective on G who Jesus was, and it completely changed their, per their perspective or their picture of what was to come. It changed everything. So Easter is truly the high point of the Chris Christian year. And we would also say that it's the hinge event, the hinge event of all of human history. Nothing has been the same since then. Have you ever discovered something that was so amazing, so incredible that you just had to, to invite someone to come and see it? And you said to them, come and see this amazing thing. Maybe for you, it was a brand new car, right? If you've ever had a brand new car, you want people to see it because it's impressive. Or maybe for you, it was a new piece of farm equipment, a new tractor or something. Or maybe it was a new four-wheeler, something that you'd been looking forward to for a long time, and finally you had this brand new four-wheeler. Or maybe for you, it was a completed project, like a renovation project. Like maybe you'd been working on renovating part of your house, and it was beautiful, and it turned out just an amazing way. You wanted people to come and see it. Or maybe it was a quilt that you'd been working on for a long time. Or all those Christmas cookies that you made. Look at how many Christmas cookies. Come and see how many Christmas cookies we made. I know some Sundays I'm here, uh, I see guys in the lobby at saying, come and see my phone. There's a picture on here you have to see. It's my trophy bear or my trophy buck or my trophy elk. Come and see. Let me let, come look at this. You know, so those things give us, a, I think, a flavor, maybe a feel for what this is like. But not really. Not really. I mean, come on. This is more like your sister calling you some morning and saying, you remember last week we buried our grandmother and she was dead? Guess what? She is sitting at my kitchen table eating breakfast this morning. You've got to come and see this. This is a little more like that. Impossible. And so your first reaction is, what? Are you, are you what, what are you saying? That's, that's impossible. No way. And maybe today we would think, you know, am I, is there a hidden camera here somewhere that, you know, looking for my reaction to this, this nonsensical news? Luke's account of Easter morning says that when the women came back from the tomb, they told all of these things, what had happened. They told them to the 11 and to all the others. There was a group of people gathered trying to figure out what was going to happen, what, was, what they should do. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the disciples. But according to Luke... They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Just like you would think if your sister called you and said, come see your grandmother who's dead and who's sitting here in front of me eating breakfast. 
it would sound like nonsense to you. And she'd say, no, really, you have to come and see it. I'm telling you, this is really true. But even if you went over there and even if you saw your grandmother sitting there eating breakfast, it'd be a little mind-boggling. I mean, you would be a little dumbfounded, would you not? It takes a little while to go from grieving, profound grieving, to incredible joy, joyful celebration. There's a little, you need a little time to get used to that. So in this uh, passage from Matthew that we had heard read this morning, the angels say, come and see where his body was laid. Come and see the linens that are empty, the discarded linens, because he is risen just as he said he would be. And I promise you that if you and I had been there on that day, we would have been staggering around a little bit too, a little dumbfounded, frightened probably, and maybe hopefully mixing in a little bit of joy, hoping to be filled with great joy. Pastor James Boyce gives us several reasons why you and I today should come and see the empty tomb of Jesus. And the first reason we come to the tomb of Jesus is the most obvious one. The main one is and that is to see that he's not there. That he's not there. He's risen as he said. Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead is God's clear and definitive statement that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus successfully paid the penalty for our sin. And the empty tomb is the main reason we believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Of course, maybe the body was moved or maybe it was stolen. Maybe his enemies stole his body. But if that were the case, as this movement began to emerge around the story of the resurrection of Jesus and what it meant, they could easily have just produced his body and refuted all of that and said, you guys are making all of this up. Here's his body. Or if his disciples had stolen the body, why would they keep it hidden when later in their lives they were put to the test of death? All but one of them died a martyr's death for this story that they began to preach and to teach. People don't die for lies like that. In fact, one of the main reasons today that we believe Jesus really was raised from the dead was the dramatic change in his closest followers. If you know this story, and we've been telling some of it this past week, you know that they were fearful and afraid in the days leading up to Sunday. When Jesus was arrested, they backed away, they hid, they said, whoa, not me. I don't want to be connected with that. Peter even denied knowing Jesus altogether. They were feared with, filled with fear and anxiety as they ran away and hid. But after Jesus' resurrection, after Sunday morning, they became these fearless, bold preachers telling the Jesus story over and over, proclaiming the good news of Jesus' saving work. And in fact, as I said, they were so convinced of the truth and the reality of Jesus' bodily resurrection that all but one of them died a martyr's death for holding on to their story. John's account of the resurrection includes this. It says that when Peter and John were running to the tomb, it says they were running to the tomb, but John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, went running past John right into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, John, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. And then here's our key phrase. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. John entered the tomb, saw the empty tomb, and believed. So I want to suggest to you this morning that trusting in Jesus is not a leap of faith. It's not just a 
a, a sort of a, a point where you get to and you think, well, I don't, I don't know, I'm just going to believe. No, it's being persuaded by the evidence. It's being persuaded, like John and Peter were persuaded by the evidence of the empty tomb. They didn't just one day randomly decide, oh, I think I'm going to believe somebody told me about this. I never saw him. I never saw any physical reality that was different. I'm just going to believe. Another important reason we believe in the resurrection is that his followers changed their day of worship. They changed their day of worship. Think about that for a minute. What would it take for us to decide together that we were going to begin gathering like this on Mondays instead of Sundays? So Monday morning, we would gather sometimes on Monday evening as well, but Sunday was, was, was behind us. We were moving on to, to Mondays. Before Jesus' resurrection, the, the, wor- the day of worship for his followers, who were all Jewish, including Jesus himself, was Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. That was their day of worship. But after Jesus' resurrection, they changed their day of worship to Sunday because it was the day on which Jesus was raised from the dead. It was the day on which everything changed. <clears throat> this was a huge deal for them, and I promise you f- a far bigger deal than it would be for us to change our day of worship to Monday. And I say that because keeping the Sabbath was then and still is one of the main pillars of Jewish identity. It was one of the main things that made you Jewish. Part of God's people was that you worshiped God together. You honored the Sabbath on Saturday. The only reason the early Christians, who were all Jews, would have changed their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday was because Sunday was the day on which Jesus was raised from the dead. Sunday was the day everything changed. Sunday was the day that their lives, their perspectives, everything changed for them. Nothing was ever the same for them after Easter Sunday. So the first reason we come to the tomb of Jesus is to see that he's not there, that it's empty. Thanks be to God. The second reason that we come to the tomb of Jesus is to see his humility. Because the tomb of Jesus reminds us, <clears throat> reminds us of his humility. Death was not natural for Jesus. There was no reason for him to die. There was really no reason for him to be killed. He had never sinned. He'd never done anything deserving of death. And yet Jesus, the scriptures tell us that Jesus set aside the glory of being God himself so that he could take on human flesh, so that he could become the sin bearer for sinners like you and me. He humbled himself just in taking on human flesh. And then he was humiliated by the people he came to save, save by the way he died, by the way he was killed. You know, if we think of fasting as a way of humbling ourselves, we realize that Jesus was humbling himself in a kind of fasting the whole time that he lived out his life here in a human body. Because the whole time he was physically present among us in the world, he was voluntarily giving up the comforts and the privileges that were rightfully his and that he fully deserved. And yet Jesus humbled himself to express God's love for us. He humbled himself to embody, to live out God's love for us in his person, in his life, and in his death. He did this to fully surrender himself to his father, to fully surrender himself to God's purposes for his life. And in the end, he gave up his very life for us. So Jesus came to us, and now we are invited to come to him, to come to him, to come and see his empty tomb, that we might believe that he was who he claimed to be, 
to come to him in surrender and in adoration. So we come to the tomb of Jesus to see that he's not there. We come to the tomb of Jesus to be reminded of his humility. But we also come to the tomb of Jesus to see where we will also lie unless Jesus returns before that happens. The tomb of Jesus reminds us that every one of us must also die. That a time will come when we'll be separated from our, our lives, from our work, from our stuff, from our homes, from our friends, from our loved ones. When we come to the tomb of Jesus, we're reminded of our mortality in this body, in these bodies. We're reminded that one day, each one of us is going to die. And that we should live our lives until then, our ti- the time we have between now and then, with that in mind. We should make our decisions and our choices, our commitments with that in mind. Of course, of course we want to live. We want to live on, but none of us is going to do that on this side of eternity unless, the Lord, unless Jesus returns before that happens. A university student once asked the famous preacher, Billy Graham, what is the greatest surprise you have found in life? And Graham answered him, he said, the brevity of it. In other words, how short it is. He said, time moves so quickly and no matter who we are or what we've done, the time will come when our lives will be over. Some of you may not think about that too much, but some of you know what he was talking about. You reflect regularly on how short life is because you can't believe how much of it has already gone by. So when we come to the tomb of Jesus, we come to be reminded that we too will die. But we also remember that we don't live in fear of death because as we already sang this morning, when we come to the tomb of Jesus, we realize, we remember that if we believe in Jesus, we also will rise with him. We also will rise with him. The bodily resurrection of Jesus means that he not only brings us to new life spiritually, but he will bring us, also bring us to new life physically in our bodies. Part of our hope in Jesus is for our own resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that those who believe will be raised in Christ, raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, he's talking about Adam, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, through Jesus Christ. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to his resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will also be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That means our promise of new life is not only for this age, but for the age to come. And that may, as I said, that may seem far away to you if you're 10 years old or if you're 15 or 25. But this promise, I'm guessing, becomes sweeter and sweeter to you if you are 75 or 80 or 85. 
because you know that you will be raised to new life in Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus, as Paul has said. So I've given you several reasons to come to the tomb of Jesus, to come and see. And I wonder if you have done that. Have you come to the tomb of Jesus? Have you come and seen? Have you investigated its reality, its truth? His claim to have been raised from the dead, the claim of his followers that he was raised from the dead. If you've never done that, I urge you to do it. I urge you to examine the possibilities, to consider the facts, to look at the details from all angles. Because as I said before, trusting in Jesus is not a leap of blind faith. It's being persuaded by the evidence. And if you are, when you are persuaded by the evidence that Jesus was truly raised from the dead, then you are free, you're ready to come to him in a new way and to understand the truth and the reality of the promise that he once made when he said, come to me, come to me all you who, are, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and in me you will find rest for your souls you will find rest for your souls I hope you know what that means I'm guessing that if you don't you would welcome some rest for your soul I urge you to come and see as I I say this to you this morning because this is in part my own story I, I'm telling you in some ways my own story. This is kind of the, the progression, how it worked out for me. I grew up in a Christian home, so I knew this story well, the Jesus story well. I embraced its truth early. I was baptized as an older child and became a devoted follower of Jesus. But in my mid-20s, when I was in graduate school, I started to pull away. I started to wonder if this these were all just stories, all of the Christian stories I had learned, the whole the whole system, I began to wonder if that was all just stories that we told each other to keep the whole Christian world humming, to keep it all flowing. I realized that I, I was studying sociology and I realized at that point that as a sociologist, I was pretty comfortable thinking that, you know, I, I know why somebody would become a Hindu who was born and raised in, in the country of India. They were born into a Hindu family all of the people around them were Hindu and all of the, the ideas they were given for explaining how the world works were from a Hindu framework. And in order to get along well in that society, you had to be Hindu. So yeah, I kind of understand why that person might be Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist, that I understood the social context that might give rise to that. And then it occurred to me that there might be a, there's probably a graduate student in Cairo doing the same reading I was doing, a Muslim graduate student thinking, you know, I think I probably understand why Carl would be a Christian because he was raised in a Christian home. Most of the people in his family are Christian. All of the explanations he has about how the world works are from a Christian point of view. And to get along smoothly in the world he's part of, he needs to be a Christian. So yeah, I kind of get it why he would be a Christian. And I realized I wasn't sure what I would say to that person about my Christian faith, what it was grounded in, why I was persuaded. And so for quite a while, I just kind of sat there in my doubts and in my confusion. I wasn't really sure how to answer that question or even how to grapple with it. But at some point, at some point, I realized that the resurrection of Jesus would be an important crossroads for me to, to think about, that the resurrection of Jesus was a key to moving forward. I'd never really thought about it all that hard, um, but I realized that if Jesus really was raised from the dead, it would make a huge difference. 
if that really happened in real space and time, that would make a, diff- a huge difference because it would be a, an anchor point in the physical world that I know for my faith, my, my trust in Jesus. And if he wasn't, if he wasn't really raised from the dead, then this whole Christian enterprise probably really was on shaky ground and I was probably on the right track and pulling away from it, walking away. And I discovered later that Paul says basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you read through it. He basically says that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we of all people are, are to be the most pitied. I read a verse from uh, 15 earlier. that He says that you know, our, our faith is, is baseless and we're, we are of all people most to be pitied. But it did become clear to me as I looked at the evidence, as I'm encouraging you to do, as I looked at the arguments on all sides, it became clear to me that Jesus really was raised from the dead, that his physical body was raised to new life on a specific day in human history from a specific tomb in the real world. And I realized that if, it was, if that was true, that everything that he'd said, everything that he did mattered. It mattered because he really was who he said he was, God himself come in the flesh. So in the fall of 1986, this probably sounds like ancient history to some of you, when I was 25 years old, the fall of 1986, I recommitted my life to Jesus with a much deeper level of understanding and confidence, and I started to rebuild what it would look like for me to follow him in daily life because I believed that he really was who he said he was and that his resurrection was God's vindication of who he claimed to be. And that's why I say to you, trusting in Jesus is not just a blind leap of faith, Trusting in Jesus is is being persuaded by the evidence. But there's another phrase in the text that we heard read for us this morning that I want to draw your attention to. There's one phrase there that's repeated twice in verse 7 and 10. The first time the angel says it, the second time Jesus himself says it. And that phrase is, go and tell. Go and tell. Jesus came to us And now we come to him, and then we go and tell what we have seen and heard. We go and tell what we have seen and heard. Just as someone invited us to come and see, we go out and tell other people what we have seen and heard, and we invite them to come and see for themselves. We go to them and we say, come and see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. If you have done that already in your life, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, my question for you this morning is, are you still in touch with, at least in some way, are you still in touch with the joyful astonishment of what it feels like to be brought to new life by the power that raised Jesus from the dead? We sang about that this morning, and I I think we were singing, some of us shouting along with the singing because of that, the joyful astonishment that we still experience from having been brought to new life, to have been freed from the burdens and the trap of sin in our lives by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And I hope that at some times, either in your devotional life or in our worship together or when you're talking with other people, you're still at some level staggering around a little dumbfounded, a a little fearful, but also filled with great joy at who Jesus is, at what he has done, that you're still able to say with, a grin on your face, there is hope. My life is being changed. I'm no longer trapped in the way that I was. I'm no longer burdened in the way that I was. I'm walking in new freedom and in new joy because I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I've trusted in him. 
Friends, this morning I invite you to come to Jesus in a new and a fresh way, to come and see his empty tomb and to come to him. I urge you to examine the reality of his resurrection, to consider the depth of his humility and to surrender to his lordship and gratitude for the great sacrifice that he's made for us. I invite you, I urge you to come to Jesus in faith and in repentance. In faith, saying, in prayer, saying, Lord, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you were. I believe that you are God, that you died so that I can be saved. I believe that you were raised to new life. Those are the, the faith, that's the faith portion of the prayer. I urge you to come to him in repentance and w- as well, to say, I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed, and I accept your forgiveness. I ask you for your forgiveness. I accept your forgiveness for my sins. If you haven't prayed those prayer bef- prayers before, I urge you to pray them today, to come and receive forgiveness for your sins, to come and receive hope for your future, and as Jesus promised, to come and receive rest for your soul. If you've already prayed those prayers at some point, if you're already a follower of Jesus, Today is a day to celebrate like no other. As we said, this is the day on which everything changed. This is the day when the victory of God over sin and death was clearly accomplished in a way that was not imaginable before that. And I urge you as the followers of Jesus to go and tell the people around you what you have seen and heard, to go and tell them about how your life has been and is being changed about how you will be raised, how you have been, and how you will be raised to new life because Jesus was raised from the dead. Go and tell them of Jesus' invitation to come and see what he will do in their lives too. Lord God, we thank you this morning for the amazing miracle of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your humility that lets you walk through all the steps of your journey here on earth, including the death on the cross and the experience of being raised to new life. And we thank you for the hope that you give us to join you in walking in freedom from sin, to join you in new life, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Lord, fill our hearts with your joy this morning as we celebrate together and as we celebrate over the next several weeks of the Easter season. Thank you, Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you have made a way for us to join you in the joy of your life together. And we pledge ourselves to go and tell the people around us who you are and what you've done and what you can and will do. We praise you and bless you in Jesus' name.